This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair number 337, April the 23rd, 1995. Our subject today is Christian Reconstruction in Action. Some very interesting developments are taking place all over the world. We don't have time to go into but more than a small segment of these developments. But one of the things that uh, I think we need to consider is what can happen when people take seriously the requirement as Christians to apply the faith. We have with us today from England Michael Butcher and Stephen Perks of the English Foundation for Reconstruction and from Seattle, Washington, two of the other trustees of the foundation, Elizabeth and Clinton Miller. Now, some few years ago, the Millers began conferences in Washington, in Seattle. These were very remarkable in their influence. They very quickly grew so that a few hundred were coming. They encompassed a variety of subjects, and the stress of all these conferences was both intellectual and also practical. Faith and works, mind and action, so that as a result of these works, a variety of uh, efforts began throughout the country. They ranged from homeschoolers, starting homeschooling, Christian schools, people starting various activities designed to meet one or another need. It also led to a stress in some areas to apply what we believe is basic to the work of Christian Reconstruction, namely the recognition that the basic government is self-government. A great many people fail because they want to start big. They want to start at the top. They want to create a mass movement. They begin with setting up, as, and I'm not going to be specific here because I don't want to embarrass various peoples, but various groups, Christian and non-Christian, conservative and radical, begin by setting up uh, a movement with tremendous uh, plans, all of which are a bit ridiculous. During the time preceding the uh, tremendous upheavals in 17th century England, two uh, tailors in London came together and they framed a proclamation which began, We the people of England. Two people. Now, 
That kind of absurdity has been very common throughout history. And we don't believe in that. We believe if they are, there are two people who want to do something, what they say, not we the people of England or we the people of the United States, but we too have an obligation under God if we see something that needs to be done to try and do it. Well, Elizabeth and Clint Miller did precisely that. They have not tried to create committees in the world movement, but they have created a great deal. And what they're going to tell us about today will be just a few of the things to give you an idea of what can be done, that we do not need to wait for great movements because if we do, we will spend our lives waiting. But if we say something needs to be done and I can do something about it, we can do a great deal, beginning with the homeschooling of our children. This is the essence of Christian Reconstruction. Elizabeth, would you like to begin and uh, tell us something of what you two have been doing? Well, thank you, Rash, for um, explaining uh, the conference that we put on in Seattle for 15 years, 14 or 15. Um, I had uh, been most recently married to Clint when I said, I want to have people hear Dr. Rushtuni speak in Seattle, but I don't know how to do it. And Clint said, well, we'll just rent a hotel room and we'll have him come uh -huh. up and speak. <laughs> and we did that, and that was the beginning of a sort of a miracle because people came. We didn't know where they came from or anything, but they came and they kept coming year after year. Uh, and over that period of time, it sometimes appeared that it, nothing was happening because we couldn't really see it. But I want to move us forward now to 1994 because in Washington State, we put in uh, a lot of new people in political office. We, I don't know exactly. We sent four or five new people back to uh, Washington, D.C. We completely changed our state house in Olympia. And I would say that uh, the tenor of change is not only conservative, it is Christian. And the bills from one year to the next completely changed the character and flavor. Before we were getting more spending bills and we were getting um, homosexual rights bills and we were trying to fight back some of these things. And the next year, after we put in all new people, uh, we now were trying to turn back some of the laws, repeal some of the laws on divorce, try to get rid of no-fault divorce, try to um, get rid of abortion by taking little steps at a time. And one of the bills that was before the legislature uh, well, it was in committee. It never got to the legislature was to uh, make sure that the child, the girl, had parental permission before an abortion was performed. But the tenor of the bills were strengthening families. And 
all those years that we didn't think anything was happening bore fruit in this last election and it also bore fruit in our national government and we have changed our whole complexion of politics in Washington State so that it's getting more conservative but definitely more Christian. And so I just want to say that though you think your work isn't bearing fruit, it is percolating through the communities all over and people are doing what they can, first with their self-government, then with their families, then with their churches on schools and in the community so that it will burst forth sometimes in, in wonderful things that happen, but it takes a while sometimes. Well, the interesting thing is you never set up a group to try to tell people what to do. All you did was to hold the conferences and stress the fact the faith requires this, the basic government is you. Now, in homeschooling, the conferences worked quite a revolution in Washington State, did they not? Absolutely. Our largest conference, our most well-attended conference with people attending, it was up to 350, close to 400, and that was the conference that we had on education. And the homes, people that were interested in homeschooling and education just poured forth. It was just there to meet their needs at that time. And since that time, of course, it's gone on to reach into every hamlet and community in our state. Clint, would you like to add something to that? Because the two of you worked hard to make these conferences successful. And you never told people what to do. You simply said, here are the ideas. Right. Well, it was, by and large, extremely enjoyable and very gratifying. We certainly met uh, a great many very wonderful people. I remember one thing that the conference always accomplished. Uh, we always had books for sale, a good number of your books, Rush, and uh, by other Christian thinkers, books by Van Til, and I think those had... A tremendous impact in addition to just the uh, the speeches and the talks and seminars that were given at the conference itself uh, those were I think had a great impact uh, I think a number of home uh, churches grew out of the conference and certainly our home church uh, really grew out of the conferences we had before the conferences began Elizabeth and I and our immediate family had had a home church uh, later partly due to the conference, we were joined by Elizabeth's brother and his wife and their son. And uh, then uh, just a few years ago when we had you up, Rush, uh, we had people in, uh, close friends, and uh, a good many people then started, in addition, started to come to our home church. And so we feel we're very blessed in being involved with a church that has so many fine people, and we feel that in large part that has also grown out of the conferences. Your home church has been active not only in weekly meetings and instructing the people, but you've done some practical things as well. For example, you've been able to raise money in some unusual ways. Uh, for example, didn't you... Uh, 
buy a sword and resell it and oh, make, yes, things yeah. like that. Well, right, right. And a, a number of us that are involved at the home church have gone together and began uh, investing uh, some money mainly in antiques and uh, uh, buying those if we found some at a reasonable price and then, and then reselling them. And uh, we have some plans in the future if we can get that nest egg to grow, and it is growing so far. Uh, we're very hopeful that... Uh, I was interested in the sword. Uh, what kind of sword was it, and oh. why did you pay for it and resell it? Right, it was a, it was an eagle, eagle-pommeled sword, American, probably uh, for an officer made about 1830. And uh, uh, one of the members of our church and I were down in Astoria, Oregon, and just happened on to a little shop that was uh, selling uh, military collectible items, and there it was for $90.00. I wasn't exactly sure what it was worth, but I knew that was uh, had to be a very good price. And we had it for oh about a year, and we finally sold it for just about triple that money, that, that amount. So that's been one example. We can't always do that well percentage-wise, but uh, but we make the effort anyway. So there's no limit to the ways uh, your group is increasing its capacity to do things financially. Right, that's true. And even in our home church, uh, several of us are involved and in, uh, we have some money to invest and we're trying to you know, follow uh, the market in various places where we might make good use of uh, invested money. And there's been tremendous growth there too. And a couple of people are very knowledgeable in computers, much more so than myself, and they're doing very well in uh, developing a system in that area as well. So the people have not limited themselves just to reaching into their pocketbook. No. They're doing practical things to implement the work. Right. That's true. Exactly. Um, one of the people in our church was uh, remodeling their home. And Clint, in his interest in history, has always also been interested in architecture. So he was able to help them... Um, design uh, their porch, their entryway, their stairway, uh, the upstairs bedrooms, and things like that, using the principles, really, we've learned from the Bible and in proportion and relationships. And uh, they are so grateful for Clint's help in this because uh, it's turned out to be much more lovely than they had even anticipated at the beginning because they were able he was able to show them the the relationships between spaces and things like that and so Clint is able to use his skills helping somebody else in the church in their design and building work I think that's a particularly important area because something in our day we've forgotten is that the most important of the arts historically is architecture. And here Christianity has had a tremendous impact on a civilization. The impact of architecture beginning with the Old Testament the building of the temple. And what's the name of this British architect? Yeah, yeah. Qu Quinlan Terry. Yeah. Yes, Quinlan yeah. Terry, Very who has researched the impact of the temple architecture on the Western world. Right. 
amazing. Yeah, he actually feels that the uh, you know the origins of classical architecture really uh, we think of it as being from ancient Greece, and it certainly had a great fruition there. But he feels the origins go back before that to the great temple where. You know, God gave instruction, and yes. uh, and the way columns were made, and the beams that sat on top of them that we call entablatures, all of that kind of thing. He he feels does have origins biblically, and then it was moved moved from there to Greece when Hebrew slaves were involved uh, and uh, employed by the Greeks to build some of their earliest architecture. So it's now yeah, fascinating. And Quinlan Terry is very much a Christian. Well. That book is quite an important one. I'm afraid not available right now. I think it's out of print now. Yes. And some years ago, Strugovsky uh, wrote some remarkable works on the very early Christian architecture uh, as it began in Armenia and moved into Europe. So Christians have had a major impact here. And I think it's interesting that uh, your group has had an impact on, in one specific case and that it should come from you and you're so knowledgeable about the history of this particular art. Well, it's been enjoyable. and I've worked with several friends and the, the family that Elizabeth mentioned. They've been, uh, they're in our home church and they've been wonderful to work for, with. And... Uh, we really work together as a team, and they've been most appreciative. Your uh, conferences have also extended abroad. You held a few in London and elsewhere in England, uh, and these attracted people from the continent. Uh, do you want to tell us, either one of you or both of you, about these English conferences? Well, yeah, we, we've had, I'll mention, we've had two conferences in London and then one in, at Chipping Norton. I think the last one was yes. what, a few years ago, but we were aided very much. In fact, actually, it was a, uh, those conferences were put on by the Foundation for Christian Reconstruction in England uh, that Stephen Perks and Mike Butcher head up. And uh, we met them, I think, in, or I first met them in 1987. And... Uh, uh, yes, we met them together, you yes, remember. right, when <laughs> I was there with you in autumn, right. right. Uh, one of the aspects of the conference that, uh, to me, is very important is that uh, through that first conference, we all became acquainted with Dr. Thomas Schirmacher and his wife, Dr. Christine Schirmacher, two German professors. And at the last uh, occasion on which Thomas Schirmacher spoke, he gave a lecture that I think is one of the most remarkable that we've ever had at a conference. And he developed the thesis that the biblical God is different from any other God that people have ever believed in or talked about, in that he works. And therefore, his people are to work. So he laid down a tremendous uh, program for Christian reconstruction. Our God is a working God. He creates. He's active. 
and his people have to be active. And, uh, well, our whole cause and movement is a product of such a faith which Dr. Schirmacher expressed so clearly. Now, on that first trip when we landed in uh, Heathrow on a very wet day, we were met by Stephen Perks and Michael Butcher. Uh, do you want to tell us about the formation of the Foundation for Christian Reconstruction in England, and then we'll hear from the men from England. You two were instrumental in helping them get started there. Well, Stephen and Mike can probably almost speak to that better, but I do remember that rainy day when we arrived in <laughs> London, and you and I and Otto and uh, were met by Stephen and Michael, and we all piled into Michael's car, and uh, one of you was even going to take the tube into town because there was not enough room, but we finally managed uh, <laughs> to get us all into the car. We and all the luggage. And all the luggage. I think we were all, except Mike who was driving, we were all holding luggage on our lap and yes. and went to the hotel and uh, uh, and then, of course, from there made, uh, you and Otto had uh, speaking engagements all over England and even yes. ended up in uh, in Scotland. But uh, I think, Stephen, do you, was it shortly after that that you... We, well, we, you, we set up the Foundation for Christian Reconstruction earlier that year. In 1987. In 1987. It's a, a registered charity in England. And it was shortly after setting that up that we began to distribute literature. And we met up with uh, you and uh, Rush and Otto. And uh, talked about the possibility of running a conference... And it was, I think, 1989, the first conference. Was that, yes, that right? Yes, I think that's correct. The Russell. Yeah. Yes. yes, 1989, yes. 1990, and 91 yes. were the three conferences, the International Conferences on Christian Reconstruction. And uh, the, the first two were in London and the third one in Oxfordshire. Some of the speakers we had at those three included... Uh, Dr. David Estrada Herrero, mm -hmm. Professor of Philosophy in Spain, Jean-Marc Bertou right. from Switzerland, Dr. Thomas Schirmacher from Germany, and uh, the Reverend Owen Forey mm -hmm. from South Africa. So they were truly international. Oh, we had Ian Hodge in mm -hmm. one also yeah. from yeah. Australia. I would like to tell also that Sam Blumenfeld, yes. Blumenthal came rather unexpectedly at the last minute. And uh, we said, well, we must have him speak. So we got a room for him, and he was going to speak on home education and Christian schools. And I was in that room, and he's... There were some questions. Well, how do you get how do you get started? And somebody else said, "Well, I'm doing it at my in my home." And somebody else popped up and said, "Well, I'm doing it at my home." And somebody else said, "Well, we're doing it too." And none of them knew each other. None of them knew it, how. And they formed a group right then and there, and uh, they began 
the home teaching movement in England yes. that is now spreading very rapidly. But it was very exciting to be at that first conference to see it happen sort of right in front of my eyes. At that time in 1987, through Stephen Perk's work, uh, Sir Thomas uh, Griffith. Oh, uh, Brian Griffiths. Yes, yeah, the uh, policy chief for Prime Minister Thatcher asked that I go to 10 mm. Downing Street and he talked to me a great deal. He knew my book, Messianic Character of American Education, better than I did. I hadn't looked at it <laughs> since I wrote it. But he knew sections of it almost by heart. Mm. And I wondered at his intense curiosity in the subject and didn't realize until the day we left that the new education bill was being framed for all British education. So uh, you had made the contact there, so... Yes, that's right. Um, we'd um, met uh, uh, Brian Griffiths before he worked at the, uh, the policy unit in 10 Downing Street and uh, it was when we met him on a previous occasion that I said you would be coming over to speak in England and uh, he expressed a desire to meet with you and so we therefore um, arranged the meeting and went along to see him at his office in 10 Downing Street. Yes. We were there for hours with him questioning uh, and some remarkable things were the consequence of it in the bill. Now, that was not the result of anything on our part, just simply uh, he had the material and he applied it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't know at the time sometimes what, uh, what the implications of our actions are going to be. I mean, it's like you say, at the conference, a lot of the people met together who'd not known each other before, and... Um, by making contacts, you know, they were able to carry on the, the work of Christian reconstruction um, in their own lives, and by meeting together, they were obviously able to pull resources. When I first uh, started thinking about the idea of homeschooling my children, giving them a Christian education, I knew of nobody else doing that. I knew of one couple who wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. um, we, when we, de we decided to do this before we ever had children and it wasn't really until we had the conferences that I met with other people who were interested and now I know quite a number of people there's quite a network of people who know of each other and therefore we can get moral support and encouragement from each other with the homeschooling and uh, it's through the conferences that we've got to meet such people so that's a very practical thing um, very often people who are homeschooling are isolated not only isolated in the sense that there are no other people around doing that kind of thing but the churches they are in will not support them in fact we have found amongst uh, Christians it's actually Christians have been the most vehemently critical of the homeschooling work often we will tell non-Christians what we're doing and they will say well that's an interesting idea I wish I would have been able to do that but Christians very often in the churches will take a very contrary attitude so those who are doing it 
are often isolated in the sense that there aren't others doing it but but they actually get opposition from their local church so to have moral support from knowing others and being able to get together say once or twice a year is very important and it, it strengthens the whole movement one of the sad facts is that uh, some churches are very very cowardly I know of an instance here in this country of a church with several thousand members and some of the leaders in their state in the home church movement are in the church there are a few hundred children who are being homeschooled and are in Christian schools among the members of that church and yet the church refuses to take a stand let alone start a Christian school because they feel the subject is controversial mm -hmm. uh, what makes it controversial is that they have some big wheels in the state uh, uh, school system in the congregation and they're afraid it might offend them well I'm very glad to say that the kind of people that the Christian Reconstruction Movement reaches are not those timid souls. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the ones who begin work on the ground level. And in that church, a number have done so, and their impact across not only their community, but the entire state is surprisingly great. So a handful of individuals in this huge church are having a bigger impact not only in the homeschool movement but in other Christian causes than the entire congregation. What is happening now just as a result of the work of Clinton Elizabeth Miller is far greater than we want to go into and we don't want to go into some things that involve other people uh, we don't want to embarrass them by calling attention to their works but great things are happening and the home church alone is reshaping the people who are there as a part of it Elizabeth do you want to tell us what's happening in the home church that you and Clint started <clears throat> well, these are just little things that I've noticed as we've continued with this. But at first, Clint and I uh, were hosted it at our house every Sunday. And uh, we would have food afterwards, and we would be very hospitable, and people liked it. But they would say things like, oh, well, you're so good at it. Well, uh, little by little, as they continued to come, one woman would say, well, Maybe I'll have the church at my house. And so now the women take turns and we go to one house and then we go to another house. But because we have done this, these people that were afraid to entertain before or have people in their home because it wasn't quite right and it was too, they hadn't dusted quite properly, they now are able, because they have the church coming in, um, to host us very nicely. They've become 
gracious, wonderful hostesses, and they've learned this by having the church at their house. The other thing that has been interesting is when we first started, Clint always handled the Bible study. He would do the research, and he would do we we would do one chapter of the Bible each week. And later on in the in the day, we would have a sermon uh, by Dr. Rustini. But the Bible study was our first thing, and little by little, as the men began to come and listen to the word, Clint would say, "Would you like to do it next week?" And each one of the men now are handling the Bible study for a month at a time. And they research it, they read Calvin, they read Dr. Rushtuni if he's written anything on the passage that we're studying, and Matthew Henry is another book. We sometimes loan our books out so they can do this research. So it isn't all falling on two people's shoulders. Mm -hmm. We, We are bringing up the men that are attending in the church. And it's made it so wonderful for them to see their growth in not only listening, but in actually doing the research and giving the lesson. Um, That's some of the things I've noticed. That's how Christ's work is going to succeed. When it's down on the personal level, when men become men and heads of households, uh, men under God, and when the women see themselves as having an important part in the kingdom, not spectators and listeners only, not an audience. And I think it's interesting that uh, as they've grown in the faith, they cease to be spectators, for example, where television is concerned. They're not watching television as much because they are now more active in their character. Do you want to add to that, Clint? Well, just to say that all the men that are now doing this in our home church I'm, uh, are all doing an excellent job of it. Uh, some of them have occupied in uh, other aspects of their life important positions in public institutions or in private corporations. You know, certainly uh, have spoken before, but they've taken to giving uh, the Bible uh, lessons uh, very, very well, and uh, I so now each talents in themselves that maybe they didn't even know they had. They can carry the faith into their everyday life. Right, exactly. Yeah. Stephen, would you like to describe to us now the work in England? And uh, of course, I know it's difficult to start something. We started Calcedon. Our first mailing, we ran off a cop- uh, 60 copies, 6-0. We were ambitious and hopeful because we didn't have 60 people on our mailing list. <laughs> we kept some back in the hopes that there would be others to express interest to whom we could mail that first one. And it's grown to thousands now, Mm -hmm. quite a few thousand. And growing rapidly, in fact, daily. 
you're at the early stages. That's right. I, we started in 1987. Prior to that, I'd been distributing literature from the Chalcedon Foundation and one or two other places in the USA to friends. Um, I, in fact, it all started actually when I, uh, I said to a friend, if he, if he promised to stop reading this particular Christian magazine that he was accustomed to take, I'd, I'd guarantee to provide him with something else that would, would be more substantial. And uh, from that, which almost started as a sort of a joke, I decided that it would, be, it would be a good idea to distribute the literature in England and I, the mailing list grew from one or two people to 30 or 40 people that I sent out regularly every month the literature from Calcede and, and various other places but it came to a point that we decided that we needed to try and speak into our own cultural context and, uh, and deal with some of the issues that were coming up in Britain and try to apply these principles to the British situation for British people. And so we started the Foundation for Christian Reconstruction, established it as a charitable trust, and we started having some sort of four-page broadsheets printed and distributed. From that, our mailing list grew. We sent them out uh, free of charge to anybody who wanted them and asked for donations. Our mailing list eventually grew uh, to such an extent that we couldn't afford to uh, distribute them on a on a free basis, so we we went over to a, ma a magazine, a journal, which is Christianity. It's now called Christianity and Society, which we distribute on a subscription basis, and we have articles in there for, by people from all over. People have spoken at our conferences. Uh, people who've spoken at conferences over here, and they send articles. We reprint the conference lectures. And that's a quarterly journal that we send out. Also, as we've already spoken of, we have the, con the conferences themselves. We also distribute tapes from the conferences. We distribute tape series, Your Sunday Lessons and the Easy Chair Tapes. And we've also got an association of Christian Reconstructionists, which is a small group of people who are committed to the work of Christian Reconstruction and are helping to make it happen. We meet twice a year. We meet for a, a think tank in which we discuss issues and how the faith might be applied to certain areas of life. And we also have a, a, a yearly a retreat where we have a family occasion and get together. Probably the most practical fruit of what we've been trying to do uh, has been the homeschooling and the Christian mm -hmm. education side. That's something that we have stressed and promoted and uh, we make it clear that we think that's very important and in a very real sense it's the high ground. We have to educate for the future, we have to bring our children up to be able to um, build on the work that we've done and take the cause further on and we have to be future oriented because we have to realize that we in our own lifetime are probably not going to see the ultimate fruit of what we're doing therefore we have to train our children to carry on the work and build little by little but, but build soundly there have also been other areas that we've promoted very much so in england we've tried to, pr to, to promote the importance of business uh, in England, in Britain, we have a very socialistic government and this is even while we have a conservative government, the conservative government is basically a socialistic government and um, our economy suffers very greatly because of that. We've tried to promote the whole idea that people should go into business 
take responsibility for their own livings, their own livelihood, and try to build businesses. And we have seen, as a result of the influence of Christian Reconstructionist principles in this area, uh, certain businesses start, people become self-employed and started businesses. And I think that's a very important area, yes. particularly for us in Britain, because of the heavily socialist, socialistic economy that we, that we have. It, it is somewhat better now because the 80s produced somewhat more of an enterprise economy with Margaret Thatcher, but it's nowhere near, la uh, nowhere near as enterprise economy as America. But um, we have tried to promote the the, uh, the business side and the whole idea of taking responsibility upon yourself, whether it's in your children's education or whether it's in your business life, because the one message that is shoved down the, the throats of the British people is that government will take on these responsibilities and people buy into this. And I would say probably as a fundamental principle that's one of the most practical areas that we need to get the message over that God gives us responsibilities and it's our duty to shoulder those responsibilities we may not abdicate them to others yeah I mean we've got a, a particular problem in, in, in Britain because the people that would normally giving, be giving out this message like the, the business people cannot get through the media one of the problems we've got is that the media has to give a both sides, both sides of the story. Um, they have to have a, a balanced approach to everything. Uh, what they mean by balanced is that it has to be humanism that they put over, which obviously is not an, a balanced approach. But um, what people get is half a story. They get a mm. half a story from, say, the, the business community, or, the, or what loosely would be called the right-wingers. But then that has to be balanced by the left-wing view, the more socialist view. And at the end of it, people are confused. I talk to people and they say, well, you're, this argument sounds reasonable, but then when I hear the other side, then that seems reasonable. And it's very difficult getting through to people uh, a consistent message. And the thing that is, is valued uh, by people is, is to hear a consistent message. And Christian Reconstructionists, I would say, above all others at the moment, are giving a... A, uh, a consistent line. I mean, when I was uh, in the workplace, I remember people um, people asking me my opinion on something. Uh, they would the, the, these same people would ridicule what they would call born again Christians when they were talking about politics and economics and discussing those types of subjects. They would actually and by asking me what my opinion was because they had actually seen a consistent view being given over the years and uh, they, people do thirst for, for, for answers and they're not getting it certainly mm. in Britain uh, through, through the media which is the most powerful medium of communication in, in fact a lot of Christians really because they refuse to in Britain because they refuse to think through all these different areas of life from a self-consciously biblical perspective they think that areas such as business and education and the like are not spiritual issues and therefore they concentrate on what they consider to be spiritual issues which is private devotional life the church and perhaps a little bit of the family um, they don't think about them biblically so they suck up unwittingly the views that are around them which are really the views that the media constantly push out and what they do then when they're challenged by their views is to 
kind of baptize them by a superficial mm -hmm. appeal to scripture and very often therefore what the church preaches uh, the message it gives on an issue is very inconsistent very confused they take a bit from the bible but then they totally contradict it over here and it's through the media you cannot get a very consistent line going the 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 airwaves and the television channels in britain are strictly controlled we're not allowed to have a, what's called a religious channel, as Mike says. In fact, if we do, we have humanism shoved down our throats constantly. But what they mean by religious is Christian or Muslim or uh, Jewish. We're not allowed to have a religious channel on, on radio or on the television. So we have to get through that barrier, the media barrier. And I think that's one of the most important areas now. We pray about that regularly. And we need to see people raised up in the area of the media to try and bring a Christian perspective into that vital area. Well, what you've done is to create your own media. Well, that's true. We, that's what we're trying to do through literature, through conferences, um, through the tapes. We're trying to do that. And uh, we hope also eventually to go into um, producing videos. It, the, the problem with that is it tends to be rather capital, inten capital intensive and uh, it requires a certain amount of funding. That's something that we... Uh, certainly want to pursue in the future to try and provide um, both educational material and, and videos to people listen they watch the television they listen to the radio and it's an interesting point that in, in the 17th century for instance the pulpit was the media yeah that's where people got their information from the kings would try and use the pulpit to get certain messages across the puritans for instance would refuse to do that and therefore the, the christians were in control of the media today there are all these other things and the christians yeah. have lagged behind they've abandoned these areas because as technological improvements have come along they've thought well that's not a spiritual thing so we don't need to go into it and of course we have to be in all these areas so now the Christian message is just a small aspect of the, the constant uh, or the broad sweep of information that people take in and what we have to do is get back into those vital areas and present the gospel uh, across the whole spectrum of, of the media. Uh, I'm sorry that Andrew Sandlin was not able to come this afternoon since he was not feeling well but while still in Ohio Andrew began something quite remarkable he started the Ohio Society for Christian Reconstruction and they meet uh, a couple times a year for conferences but they do more than that we had on the cover of the April Calcedon report a picture of uh, the Reverend Philip Bowman an ex-marine who was challenged when he was picketing abortion clinics with the inadequacy of what he was doing. It was a purely negative thing. What if he persuaded these girls he was challenged not to have an abortion? And they could not have the, uh, keep the baby for one reason or another. What was he going to do then? Well, he thought it through and he began to find homes for babies, unwanted babies, retarded babies, handicapped babies. He has two in his own home. And uh, he has told John Upton 
bring as many babies as you can from Romania. We have homes waiting for them. Now that's just one practical application. Well, since Andrew has come here, we've taken a first step towards, together with the Schwartzes in San Jose, towards starting uh, at least one California uh, society for Christian Reconstruction. We may have two in different parts of the state, since this is a big state. And uh, they're going to think practically about what's their purpose. They're going to come together for meetings, but they're also going to look ahead to action. Now, I feel this is the wonderful thing about our cause, that it has a very practical uh, impact. And I think we need to explore this area even further with people. Certainly you've applied it in Washington. And uh, you've applied it in England through these two men. And that's our future. Faith and works. Show me your faith. The Apostle James says, by your works. And our Lord says, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now I think we all need to think practically, and one practical way is never to forget that any group that is involved in this kind of work needs help. And we need to help the British Foundation for Christian Reconstruction. Stephen, Clinton, do you want to tell us something about that? Well, um, we do need help uh, for the work that we're doing in England. We need financial support. Um, the work that we're doing is controversial. We yes. find that, uh, as you mentioned before, we're only a small group, but because we're putting forward a message and trying to build something positive, it seems to people that we have a that we're we're bigger than we are, that we have an influence larger than yes. would be suggested by our numbers. But um, what we do need is for support and uh, finance, financial support to keep the work going. It, it's uh, expensive to publish journals and it's expensive to to pay people for the time to to do the work that's needed. We do have a a journal, Christianity and Society which we distribute quarterly and it's $30 per year for, uh, it's published quarterly, that's four issues a year and you can uh, get that from uh, Christianity and Society at Post Office Box 20514 Seattle, Washington 98102 and if you want to know more about what the foundation is doing you can also write to that address and we will send you information um, if you can support the foundation at all with donations, it would help us greatly. You can send uh, checks made payable to the Foundation for Christian Reconstruction to that same address, and that will be uh, passed on to us in Britain, and it will very greatly help us in the work that we're doing over there. We, we are a small group, but we are growing. The group's growing, and the work is... We are able to have more influence. I might just add one 
thing we've done recently is that um, we've established a new trust which is called the Institute of Christian Political Thought, the purpose of which is to try and launch uh, a major Christian political initiative in Britain within the next two years or so. So we're also doing a lot of work on that score. Michael, do you want to add to that? Well, I was going to say, what's, what's possibly holding us up on the political initiative is, uh, again, a lack of funds, which uh, mm. Steve has, has outlined. Uh, also, some of the Christian leaders are timid about being oh, Christian yes, 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 publicly. Yes, yes. yes they're, uh, they're very much uh, start to run a bit scared once we start putting forward positive alternatives. Like you said, it's, 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 uh, it's easy to attack... You know what, what's what's going on. Say this is wrong, but once you start putting forward alternatives, then um, people start being a little bit nervous. The, the the reason for the nerves is that um, what we're putting forward is a Christian alternative. So yeah. many lobbying groups and Christian organisations in Britain simply want to clean humanism up. Yes, they don't want to replace it with a thoroughgoing biblical perspective and thoroughgoing yeah. biblical. Um, policies and actions. They want to smarten up uh, humanism, maybe remove the explicit sex from television and the explicit violence. But you see, the fundamental philosophical principles are still there if you simply clean up humanism. And they continue to corrupt everything. They corrupt school curriculums, they corrupt people's world's view. What we have to do is replace it with a Christian alternative. And that's what we're seeking to do. And I think that's what people find radical. One uh, Christian, with quotes, leader in the United States on national television said he would like a return to the 1950s, <laughs> which meant he wanted humanism before it got explicit about sex and abortion and homosexuality, euthanasia, and so on. Mm. And... That's a very commonplace attitude. It leads to a negative program. You're against a series of things, but when it comes to what are you standing for, they're silent. Mm -hmm. Clint, do you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I would just say that what Stephen Perks and Mike Butcher are doing in England is very important, and yet they are a very small group, a very small uh, Enterprise, and in regard to that, I wanted to mention a couple weeks ago in Seattle, we heard a sermon by you, Rush, uh, about Jesus and the woman at the well. And the point, or, or one of the points there, was that our Lord often works in furthering the faith and, and outside the normal established channels. After all, at, at Jesus' time, the high priest at the great temple in Jerusalem was not chief among our Lord's supporters. Instead, <laughs> instead they're still not. Still not. And, and instead, we had a group of, or he had a group of disciples from all walks of life, high and low. He worked through people such as the woman at the well. And likewise, in Britain today, the rebuilding and the revitalization and the reform that is just beginning and should continue. It isn't emanating from the office of the Archbishop of Canterbury and it isn't emanating from very many established uh, channels and instead it's people like Stephen and Mike and, and some of their cohorts where it's happening and as such they 
need to be encouraged and are worthy yeah. of our support. So. We should make a note of the fact that we have someone whom we came to know through the 1987 visit in Edinburgh, Scotland, who is here training in the United States to go back and apply Christian Reconstruction and the Reformed Faith to Scotland. So uh, I could add the same thing is happening in a number of other countries, including Africa, but I won't go into the specifics now. We will have more in the Calcedon Report later on this year on that aspect of it. But things are happening all over the world. And I think it's wonderful that uh, people in England see you as a threat. That indicates they're afraid. They are disturbed by the fact that it isn't uh, cleaned up humanism they're going to get, but the unadulterated biblical faith. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need more of. Is there anything any of you would like to add in the minute or so we have left? I might just add if there are any listeners in the Seattle area that would be interested in coming to our home church there, they might uh, give us a call. Our uh, Very good. telephone number is 206-329-8511. Uh, we'd be Please do so if you're in that area. And uh, call if you want any more instructions about starting a home church. Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you.